Fantastic. Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take Ty's favorite horror movies from high school and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, and in my second seat today is my favorite co-host, Ty. Hey, I'm really excited about today. As you should be, Ty, and I'm excited to have all of our listeners rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you go to our YouTube channel and like and subscribe, and uh, also find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Ty, why are you so excited about today's episode where we review Dawn of the Dead? Please tell me. Well, Dawn of the Dead, the original by George Romero from 1978. It is the film that uh, kind of inspired me to go to film school. Um, I I found it just amazing and incredible for what he could accomplish with such a low budget uh telling you know social commentary over a horror film which obviously is common but uh being a young and i didn't really understand that um and it was one of the first films i kind of like i I saw a little bit of that uh, as with night of the living dead as well and i i just love zombies growing up i think uh all all my friends did we were all obsessed with it 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 was a really popular time for zombies and uh dawn of the dead is the one that kind of like really really made zombies special, right? That was the one that, that set the tone for, for The Walking Dead and so many other projects to come. Uh, and it's just it's just a really good film. He, he accomplished quite a bit. So I'm just pumped to be talking about a film that inspired me and uh, I'm sure inspired generations of filmmakers. You're too close to the case, Ty. I'm kicking you off of it. <laughs> Damn it! I'm gonna, <laughs> I brought in a, a, a special by-the-books co-host who, who has no <laughs> relation to... Uh, to, to Dawn of the Dead or any Romero film, so they can approach this with an unbiased eye. Okay. Um, no, I, I have you. And uh, while this is the last horror movie that we're reviewing this month for the Politipop Spookcast, it is it is far from the last horror movie that I'll be watching this month. I have been Same. going through a bunch of them uh, individually on my own, just just on my own time because you know tis the season, like yeah. I said, and. Um, one thing I've noticed is that I miss practical effects. Yes, yes. You know, I, uh, I, I've been watching a lot of movies that, you know, they, they make use of CGI, uh, but, but, like, the really good stuff was the practical effects. Like, you really, even if they're not awesome, you still get such a visceral reaction from, from let's say, uh, seeing a screwdriver go into someone's ear, even if the blood looks completely fake, yeah. as opposed to if you were to see it done with computers. It, it's it's still, it gets under your skin in a way I think the CGI stuff just can't. Um, and, and some of the most iconic horror films do that. You know, Dawn of the Dead, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, An American Werewolf in London. Like, these are all you know, considered the greatest horror movies of all time. And, and they really relied on those, those practical effects. Um, I think the walking dead, uh, became really popular because they used a lot of practical effects on set too. You know, it was kind of a mix, yeah, but they had Greg Nicotero yep. there and, and, you know, with the incredible makeup team and, you know, uh, you and I have been very critical of the walking dead, uh, not so much in our, in our podcast life, but just in our personal yes. life as, as we are both huge fans of the comic book series. 
Uh, you know, and I think we were very critical of the show for mostly its story. Yeah, the and plot. And some of its acting. Sure. Yeah. But uh, but as far as like just visually and the and the the way it's it's filmed and and the music and everything like they really do put together a a, a great a great piece and yeah every every week they would always have right on Talking Dead they would have like oh this is the kill of the week or something yeah, like that yeah. and you would go into it and I'd be like oh my god I don't care because Mishan didn't do the thing that I thought <laughs> she would do but like but you know but really we did take that for granted because it is modern it it would be easier for them to use. Uh, to use CG at every turn, but they, you know, they really don't, and they and they do put in the time, and and that is what makes some of, you know, their their kills and their gore like so just gross. Well, yeah, I mean, look at look at World War Z, right? That came out in 2013, and it's not a bad movie, but it's so CGI heavy, right? Like the zombies just don't have that same impact. They they don't they don't have that that feeling. They're just like one entity, every single one of them, you know. And then you look at something like, like uh, you know, The Walking Dead or Dawn of the Dead, and each zombie is so unique and just so, uh, the kills are so interesting, and, and it's incredible just how they're able to pull that off, and, and they were so creative. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really awesome. And, I, you know, watching Dawn of the Dead, it, it, I had forgotten, I hadn't watched it in a few years now, and it was really, it was really pleasant to go, oh, you know what, they pulled off some really cool stuff in this. Um, especially, like, when you learn more about the production and just, like, how small scale it was. Um, you know, and, and oh and we, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, we can get into that a little bit more later, but it's uh, it's definitely <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, the um, the 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 Romero franchise, you know, the of the dead or, or whatever it might be, uh, franchise has has had a really important spot in you know in in your heart, and because of that, it's also had an important spot in mine. You know, I <laughs> yes, I. I mostly got to know these films because I was I was your friend at the time that you were like oh like the, you know these films are great and so I didn't I didn't I didn't become as obsessed with them from a fill angle or or a or a social commentary lens until until later on you know really I was just like oh these are ridiculous zombie films to watch with my friend and and that's why I got to know them and you know know them line for line and everything like that <laughs> but uh but but Romero from from the inception of his films with Night of the Living Dead, uh, which, you know, it broke ground by by talking about, you know, least of all things, let's say racism in yeah. a horror movie. And this, you know, this this was a, a, a true horror movie, uh, you know, in which the, the characters, every time they're trying to, to, to do something to get ahead and survive, like they keep failing at every single turn. And the individual they had to turn to is played by uh, Dwayne Jones. Uh, he is a black man. They put a black man in the lead of this horror film, which, you know, we were criticizing Halloween for not having that in any of their films, let alone when did Night of the Living Dead come out? 68? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> pretty incredible. You know, I, I mean, that film literally created the modern zombie. They were always considered like voodoo creatures before that like that was the first time they really were like flesh-eating monsters so you know Romero is obviously the father of, of zombies um, but his social commentary in that film was so important you know and we could have done a whole episode on that too you know uh, he really understood I think the the new generation kind of coming in and taking over the old generation that was something that was a big part of that message um, and like you mentioned having uh, you know, a black main character played Ben. And what's funny is I was watching Document of the, uh, Document of the Dead, which was a documentary that was made during Dawn of the Dead. Um, and while he was being interviewed, they asked him, like, oh, it's interesting that you have, you know, a black main character in both Night and Dawn. And he said, well, to be honest, when I was making Night, 
Um, it was ma- it was mainly my friends. It was so low budget. It was even more low budget than Dawn. Uh, and and the actor who played um, who played Ben, I believe he says his name is Dwayne. He he was his best actor friend. So he put him in that role, and then he rewrote Get the script. Yeah, but then he rewrote the script huh. because he was a black uh, a black man because he wanted to reflect that you know since they were doing it and not just you know gloss over it. Um, but he was very honest about it. He's like, yeah, he was the best actor fr- friend I had. But you know, he decided it could be an important part of the story, so we reworked the script. Um, and I, and I you think, know, yeah. And I think that says a lot too, just about who he is as a creator that he. That he actually had people of color within his immediate social circle. Yeah, I, I mean, thought that for, was interesting. Yeah. 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 For all we know, Dwayne Jones could have been his only black friend at all. <laughs> I and a black friend. To be an, yeah. You know, it also happened to be an actor. You know, I can't speak on that. Um, but uh, but it is very, you know, before the word was, was there, you know, woke. Uh, I think it was a very effective and uh, and conscious decision to start rewriting the script based on who was cast in that role. Uh, because it could have been easy for him to be like, oh, this just happens to be a black guy. But no, he's, you know, as we as we've mentioned in how many episodes thus far, that if your character is black, they inherently have uh, race as part of their story. Yes. They just do. You know, if it takes place in in the United States, especially, you know, that's that's how it has yeah. to be. And we're talking 68. I mean, there's there's a, yeah, it's a lot going on, <laughs> you know, so yeah, bold. And, and he also um, puts a spotlight, a spotlight on women. You know, I don't always think he writes women perfectly. They're a little damselly in distress, but um, yeah. he does. He does make sure to. To, the protagonist always is either a black man or a woman, which I think is interesting. Uh, you see it in night, you see it in dawn, you see it in day. Um, it, it is, you know, it's very interesting that he does that. I can't say as to whether or not that's intentional. I'm, I'm sure it is more than likely, right? But uh, I think it is interesting to take individuals who in our regular society – uh, and I use the regular the term regular very loosely, but in our in our regular society, those are the individuals who are marginalized or the individuals who are more likely to be victims. And so to to make them the heroes of of this world where the the structures that are no longer that that are keeping them down normally have been collapsed, right? Yeah. It is interesting to see how they thrive in this survivor environment, right. So we're—I mean, I think we're going to go back and forth between Dawn and Night of the Living Dead, and uh, I'll, I'll also make uh, more than a few references to Dawn of the Dead 2004, which was the remake uh, and uh, directorial debut by Zack Snyder. A very good um, remake too. You know, I think a lot of horror yes. movie remakes are terrible, and that's probably one of the better ones. Uh, even if the messages of the original aren't quite as strong, it's—it's uh, it's still a good remake. Yeah. So. Uh, and then, of course, we also have Land of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and maybe we'll we'll do those later on. You know, hopefully there will be a few more Halloween seasons to come yeah. for us, uh, at the very least. Uh, but but uh, these these movies, George Romero has has stated, are very much about consumerism. And I remember when I first watched these films, I did not get it, other than <laughs> yeah. the first the first uh, Dawn of the Dead being like. Uh, you know, oh, it's in a mall. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's a place for it to take place. But uh, also, I mentioned before how when I used to watch films, I never really noticed these themes. As a matter of fact, oh, you know what's what's coming in? So between the hours of 3 o'clock and 11 p.m., there's going to be a spoiler warning in full effect. 
Uh, it's going to be coming in with a cold front, so just just be aware of that. You might want to bring a, a jacket with you. The spoiler alert is in full effect. There will be detailed plot spoilers coming in uh, very soon. So get an umbrella up. Ty, give us the plot. Dawn of the Dead, following an ever-growing epidemic of zombies that have risen from the dead, two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his television executive girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. I do find it, find it funny that it's like zombies that have risen from the dead. I, I like that. Yeah. They, had, they had, I guess back then they had to put that, you know, because people, well, yeah, because like you said, the, the same. yeah, the original uh, zombie was a voodoo zombie and it was more mind control at that. These right. are, these are undead cannibalistic zombies, which is why you, you know, very appropriately said that George A. Romero is the father of yeah. the modern day zombie. Which is funny because, I mean, he created it in 68 and we still consider them the modern day zombies. Interesting, right? You know, also, I, I think we can't talk about the effect that it's had just on our uh, lives without talking about the effect it's had on pop culture as a whole. Like every zombie you have in every movie now is a cannibalistic uh, undead zombie because of that. Yeah. Um, you know, in every video game, we talk about Resident Evil. Their their zombies were also cannibal zombies. I mean, they do end up having mutants and stuff. Later yeah, on, yeah, but, but that, the the core concept of it, you know, and it, it it's just, uh, yeah, like you said, it it wasn't just us. I mean, we made uh, a couple zombie movies because of this film, um, and and you know, I think a lot of a lot of people have been influenced. You know, um, filmmakers have been influenced. You know, uh, Tom Savini who did the makeup and the special effects and the stunt work and, and all that on Dawn of the Dead. Um, he has worked on, you know, countless horror projects, has directed his own stuff, um, has acted in a lot of projects. So, you know, even just his his effects from from this film, you can see in, in so many other projects. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Tom Savini is all throughout the uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Franchise. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd have to say that if you were George Romero, I think I would be your Tom Savini. I agree. I feel like for sure. I feel like that's, that's, pretty, that's accurate. pretty accurate just because I end up doing everything like in ridiculous areas that have that I have no place knowing. Yeah. You're like, I'll do a, I'll do a zombie stunt. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I, um, I could paint someone's but, uh, face for a zombie. Let's do it. <laughs> sure, sure. Why not? Actually, can I follow off on that on that face paint comment just by uh, talking about how? So everybody has the exact same face paint as a zombie in this movie, uh, you know, with a few exceptions. But it seems like most of them. Uh, Romero said in the commentary it was supposed to be gray. Yeah, uh, but it but came up most blue of the one. time. Yeah, yeah, they looked. They all looked very blue, and uh, you know that that right there might take you out of it if you're going back from modern day zombies and what they look like. But I think it is very effective, and I'm not sure if it's this is meant to be that way or not. But I think it's very effective to have the hordes of of the undead be all the same color kind of like mm. you know when when we all die and this isn't really about being dead either right while while the the vest while the vessel for this theme might be dead people zombies you know it really is about just becoming slaves to consumerism to the point that you know it's it even when you die you're gonna end up going shopping like that's the one the one evergreen thing and and uh and we see this horde of zombies also in the projects at the beginning they're taking uh, you know there's a SWAT team taking them on it is interesting that there really isn't I mean the majority of the people in the projects are are people of African descent but it doesn't seem to be like a black a white or anything it's it's just 
everyone is the same color. They all stand on the same ground when yeah. met with the same threat. Yeah, no, that's an that's an interesting observation. Um, and, and he literally goes into race during that scene too, right? He has that police officer Wooly, I think his name is, who's just oh, does just he like ever. the most. <clears throat> excuse me. The most over-the-top, like, racist cop you, you can imagine, right? He's, like, he's dropping slurs. He's, like, blowing people's heads off. Like, he's, like, you know, just killing people. Left, He's literally busting down doors and, like, murdering people. Um, but unlike yeah, real life. multiple li- weapons. Yeah, yeah, but unlike real life, two police officers actually step in to stop him. Um, <laughs> yes. Which are two of yeah. our protagonists, you know, Roger and Peter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other cops actually do step in to stop him. But this guy, and t- trigger warning, uh, I'm going to say the actual slurs. But, like, he, he's this dude with, with, like, you know, he's got, like, multiple guns and, and they're in the projects. And I, what are, who are they after again? Are they after some, like, gang members? There's or? a guy named Martinez. Like, they... I, you know they don't really. I don't think he really go into after Martinez, who yeah, um, who I'm pretty sure they brown faced him. By the way, yeah, I thought uh, so too. I was like, they brown faced him. It's like uh, in the commentary that he was wearing a wig, and then like I made sure to look for the wig, and I also yeah. noticed I'm like, that guy's not Puerto Rican. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, guy just has brown paint. Like, on fuck, his we can't get any Puerto terrible. Rican actors, so. Yeah, Ugh, George low Romero budget. was like, George Romero was like, yeah, people stopped, uh, actors of color stopped being my friend after I killed off the guy in my last movie. Um, <laughs> so, so I just get a bunch of white guys. But yeah, but yeah, you have this cop who like, you know, I, I mean, it, it, it is terrible because all I could think of are, you know, recent no-knock raids that have happened right, right. in real life. You know, but he's, he's like, oh, these niggers and spicks, they got it better than I got, blah, blah, blah. And he just starts busting it, pop, 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 yep. fucking lighting people up until finally he gets lit up by uh, Peter, right? Yeah, who who isn't, you know, a black police officer. Uh, Roger yeah, tries to stop him first, right? Yeah, you know, he tries to, like, hold him back, and he gets knocked over, and then and then Peter just shoots Yo, him. Yo, Roger's him. four foot nine, so. Yeah. <laughs> He's five seven, actually, but yes, he oh, looks four foot nine compared to Peter, <laughs> which oh, yeah. actually was almost an issue uh, casting him, but. They really? Didn't. Yeah, yeah, Romero was afraid to cast him because of how much bigger Peter was, and, and the actor was like, listen, no one's going to remember after five minutes, so they did it. Um, I also thought it was interesting that Roger tries to stop, I think it might be Martinez, from getting shot, right? Like, they're pressed up against the building at one point looking at each other with their guns, and uh, Martinez goes to run out, and Roger goes, don't run out there! And he, he tries to grab him, and then, the you know, the, the SWAT team or whatever that's watching, you know, fires and kills him. Uh, you know, so it seems like Roger doesn't really want to come in here and, and murder everybody. <laughs> you know, he... He does have some some empathy, and, and it, it does start to get to him as he sees, like, you know, all these people being killed, and then they start running into, you know, zombies, and, and just, you know, just how horrible the situation... It's a, it's a really, like, disgusting scene, you know? People are dying left and right. Uh, they're being chewed on by their loved ones, you know? It's it's uh, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, and I'm sure that back then it was even more brutal, like... Once again, the thing that takes you out of it is, you know, while Savini's makeup work was great for the time, you know, it's really the work they had in this movie kind of just it doesn't tell you zombie. It tells you person in makeup. So, like, you know, you can imagine that even then, though, that was that was like the pinnacle of special effects work. And, you know, you like it probably was so gross and they pretty much opened up the movie with this. And and, you know, you described some of the gross parts. But the one thing I really remember was when uh, Ken Foray, uh, he's Peter. Peter. Yep. Ken Foray's character, a.k.a. 
Joe Grizzly, bitch. That's another <laughs> Halloween reference. Nice. Um, when he gets beaten up by Michael Myers and oh, Rob yeah. Zombie's Halloween. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's right. Yeah, he takes Joe Grizzly's uh, coveralls. And oh, that's man. how he becomes that son of a bitch killed Peter. Yeah. <laughs> but when he's um when he's in the basement and he sees all these zombies there and some of them are wrapped up in sheets coming back to life, you know, I did I did see like a lot of uh you know, like corona imagery. And oh, yeah. obviously that wasn't on purpose, but you know, a kind of it, you can't not think of that. With everything you watch nowadays, it does have to be like you know, you, you even think to yourself probably, oh, why are those people so close to each other? Oh, this was filmed five yeah, years ago. Yep, like, yep. it is so weird how, how we've, I don't know, we've just become so so adapted to, to COVID like that. But, yeah, so, we, you know, we do see it in everything. And, you know, being that they're not going into the suburbs for whatever this raid was, they're going into the projects. Like, yeah. they're going into, you know, uh, ur- closed urban housing and and you know whether they're zombies or not they're they're having to eradicate these people and you know i don't think they really shoved it in your face but i do think that the the narrative of police brutality is definitely there if you want it definitely and this is a sad scene i mean you know the the all these infected people have been like locked away um because you know obviously the government doesn't know how to handle the situation much like they didn't know how to handle the uh-huh. pandemic uh of 2020 you know, it, like they they didn't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. You know, you're watching the television. They have all these experts fighting about what to do. Um, so these people didn't know what to do. They locked away their loved ones, and I think they fed them right. Like they were feeding them people um, or something. Uh, and, I think and, one of them was. You're right. Right. Because I, I, I think I think they say time. that, and then yeah. you know Peter puts puts them all down. They used actual amputees for this scene so that they could really make it horrific, and uh, you can see like different limbs and stuff off. Yeah, and that also made its way into the 2004 remake where yeah. Snyder used a uh, few amputees for for those yep. the running zombies, which made it even more horrifying. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, it's a it's a sad scene. Um, it, you know, these these are just people trying to trying to. A lot of them are trying to live their lives. Uh, you know, like like these are like not everyone in here is a criminal. Suppose you know, even if you want to assume Martinez is, we don't know for sure. You know, it was just that the police are saying that, but you know, they're literally busting down their doors um, and, and killing them and unleashing their dead on them. And you know, we see a woman rush into the arms of what maybe her her lover or or, or maybe even a you know someone else in her family, and then he he starts biting her neck and, and, and eating her and it's you know it's just it's a very sad sad scene um and then there's like a there's like a priest that shows up right when peter and and uh and roger kind of meet up down in the basement and i think he says something like uh, along the lines of um we must stop the killing or we'll lose the war so, so there's a definitely like an anti-violence message as as violent as this film is um i, I think there is an anti-violence message to to the film to romero's movies you know, he wanted to make this like almost like a comic book, so it's over the top, but still deliver his message, yes. you know, in a powerful way. Uh, and, and throughout the film, we see just violence and violence and violence and people losing their way. Um, and I think it goes to show like we're we're kind of our own worst enemy, which is something that's mimicked in, in zombie movies, I think, a lot, especially, you know, The Walking Dead and stuff that we, you know, we are The Walking Dead kind of uh, the idea that we're truly the monsters in the end. Um, and we saw this in night and we see it throughout dawn. Yeah. And I think it's a matter of, you know, not just fighting each other because there, there isn't a lot of human on human violence in this movie. It's a lot of human on zombie violence, but I think it's also just a matter of, if we're looking at it through the lens of, 
becoming a zombie means being overtaken by consumerism and that consumerism is is part of that capitalist cycle right of right. i want things so i work and i work to buy things and then i need more money so i so i work some more and and that's pretty much it so you know i think it's also this matter of trying to fight off the inevitability of becoming a part of that cycle that yeah you know for like for all my talk of you know, wanted to be a revolutionary and trying to break out of the capitalist system. You know, if I find out tomorrow that my wife is pregnant, I'm putting my college degree to use, getting a job and admissions, and I'm working there the rest of my life because right. I know that I have to take care of my kid. You know, like yep, that's yep. that's it. Like it, you know, it is always kind of just at your door. And they make it a point to show the characters. They show Fran and Steven and, uh, and Peter and Roger. Uh, after they finally get them all cleared and everything, trying to live um, normal lives or even extravagant lives that they never got the chance to live before everything went to hell. But it just shows you that while they may appear happy, there's these constant juxtapositions of shots outside where death is right at their door. Yep. That you know that consumerism, that capitalism is always at your door, and it's you know it's it's ready to take you down if you become a slave to it. You know, let's say you know what. Because I, I personally, I, I love retail therapy, and I know that's part of me growing up the way that I grew up. Yeah, yep. But not even just like going to buy things, but this is also kind of like credit card debt, right? <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you may want something, and so you get money loaned to you so you can afford it, and then you're stuck in a cycle of debt that ruins people's lives. I mean, and in the end, it doesn't bring them happiness, right? I think there's a point where they're they're all just sitting there looking depressed, and Fran says, "You know, what have we done to ourselves?" And, and you know, all this 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 th- these things that they have just can't actually bring them happiness. They're they're still you know they're still lonely. They're still isolated. They're still you know stuck in in a a reminder of of the world that is falling apart around them. Um, you know, and I, I thought that was a kind of an interesting thought as you see them just getting you know, more and more depressed. Cause while the mall seems somewhat safe, you know, they didn't choose the safest option, right? I think they had a plan. They were going to go to Canada or something to, to, to be safer and yes, they chose yeah. to stay here. Um, and because of that, several of the members, you know, members of this group die and you, you have to wonder, you know, maybe if they had stuck with the original plan and found, you know, a less comfortable but safer spot. They, they'd all be alive at the end. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something there. I never thought of that point, but that that is, you know, that is really something to think about now that you put it out there. Like, did they just go to the mall? And I think the answer is yes. Did they go to the mall out of the same reason those zombies allegedly went to the mall? Yep. Because it was part of their routine. And, um, you know, the, it is noted, you know, you'll see a couple of uh, a couple of videos linked in the show notes and sources uh, for the episode. But uh, one of them, I believe, is by Eyebrow Media. And they mentioned that those who were obsessed with the mall, you know, because of the comfort it provided and all the resources. And I don't mean survival resources. I mean, like extravagant resources that it provided. The people who were obsessed with the mall ended up becoming a part of the mall. Uh, you have uh, Roger and Steven, right? And they they ended up just becoming victims of it. I also I also want to note how it seems like our main characters have also kind of become one percenters in a way. Yeah. You know, they they got theirs, uh, made sure that nobody else could get it. They locked down the mall. They have so much money that it means nothing to them. However, in this world, money literally does mean nothing. 
And yet they um, still want it, right? We we see yes. we see Peter and Steven like taking pictures with it, you know, or you know, looking out the camera and smiling. And then later on, Just when the mall's case. raided, the the biker gang takes a bunch of money too. And yeah. It's like the world is literally, you know, it, it's ending, and then they're still they still take the time to go and get money. Yeah, I mean we're we're so stuck in our in our indoctrination of like this is what'll help and. You know, they're, they're clinging on to remnants of the old world to bring into the new world, which we discussed in our Fury Road episode. Yeah. Doesn't work. It's not constructive to to a progressive environment. Right. I also think it's interesting that in becoming those one percenters, they they kind of ignore the plight of all of the zombies outside. And I know that sounds weird to say, but. You know, let's say those zombies aren't zombies, but they are people who are caught in that capitalistic cycle. They are the working class, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, they are, you know, those who are are just toiling away the cogs of society so that way those many levels above them can continue to make more money and more profit from the, uh, from the, the toiling of the working class. Um, you know, I, I do think that says, that says something as well that these, that they could, that they're pretty much indifferent, you know, like if you, cause if you really wanted to be safe and I'm not sure that, you know, from a zombie survival standpoint, this is what we would do or not, but you might want to make sure all of the zombies around the area are dead. Not just the ones that make you uncomfortable. Especially when they have bucket loads of ammo, right? There's a gun store, they have more ammo than they know what to do with. Uh, and yet they, they don't try to clear it out. Um, yeah, and, and there are a quite a few zombies out there, but yeah, like they want to ignore it. Right. I think Peter says like, oh, they'll go away. And, and like, they, they think that if they just don't pay attention to them, then they won't have to worry about the problem. They want to run away from the issue. Uh, but obviously that's not the case. They're not going away. There's even a scene, I think where Peter's playing either like racquetball or tennis or something up on the roof and his ball falls off the roof and you just see like all these zombies walking around. Um, and, and he just doesn't seem to, that was a to really care. beautiful shot. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, he's up there having fun and these are all people, which he, which he even states at one point, you know, he says they're us, right? Like that. He literally says they're us. They're not, they're not something different. Um, they're, they're people. And you know, the, to, to become so numb to, to the idea that these are all, you know, literally people that have been killed or, or have come back to life. It's, uh, it's sad, you know, and, they, and uh, Peter has some great lines, you know, in the mall um, about, about these people, you know, he says, uh, you know, why they come here. It's some kind of instinct memory. It's an important place in their lives. Like, can you imagine that in death, the most important place you can think to go to is the mall? I mean, think like that's yes, just that's, absolutely. It's it's kind of horrifying, right? Like, I I I would be so upset if I knew that's what I would do. If that's the most important thing I could think of to do is go to the mall, you know that that just shows like, wow, where are our priorities in, in life? That even in death, this is this is what draws us, you know, to these places. Well, you remember the happiness of a Saturday or Sunday morning, dude, going to Roosevelt Field, going to Sunday. Yeah, of course. With, with your family and everything. Like, even if even if I only got one thing, because it's probably all, you know, we could really afford back yeah, then. Yeah. You know, it was just amazing to go and to be there. And there there is this this sort of euphoria yes. and and you know it's the same thing of of you know nowadays going to amazon or ebay or something like when you're feeling down and oh i can't control anything you know what i can't control i'm gonna have this item delivered to me on this date by this person because i have money and i can control that and yep. like 
It's true. You know, it's it's yeah. very. I was in uh, I was in New Hampshire over the weekend, and uh, you know, we we got we got lunch there, and then there's like all these old stores. Like there's like a an old like video records store that has like um, you know DVDs and Blu-rays and games and stuff, and like a board game store. And we we went into them, and you know, I bought a couple of movies, and like it was it was like so much fun. I had, I had so much fun, and then you know, looking back, I'm like. What did I really do? I went, I went shopping. You know what I mean? Like, why was that such a fun time? You know, it, it definitely. Um, and I think it goes down to, like you said, to memories of your childhood and stuff too. Though, like, I have fond memories of of going to stores like that when I was a kid, and and you know, uh, finding you know things that you wanted to buy, and, and you know, a movie that you really wanted to add to your collection. Like, I was a big movie collection guy. Like, I would, I have so many DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, more than I know what to do with. You know. And that was like my big thing growing up. I was like, I gotta have this, gotta add it to my collection. You know, and there's like, I have movies that are still sealed. And I look back at it and I'm just like, you know, why? Like, why did I need to have that? But that's kind of the the world that we're, we're raised in, you know? Like, you, you gotta have it before it's gone, before someone else can get to it. Which we saw when COVID started, right? Yep. Like, everybody was trying to get theirs, you know, get as much hand sanitizer and toilet paper as you can. Yeah. But, you know, fuck everybody else. And, um, you know, it's so funny how, and this I don't know if we've discussed privately or, or on the podcast, but like how so many of the creators we loved growing up, it turns out that they're fucking communists. Like, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, or they're, or they're super progressive, like like Alan Moore, George Romero. Yeah. You know, they have very specific themes in all of their work that's still so, so prevalent today. They're kind of fighting the system, you know, in their own way. Uh, yeah. Like in, in documentary of the dead, you know, uh, George Romero talks about the fact that and a lot of people around him that worked with him on the film also talk about the fact that George refuses to work with Hollywood because he doesn't want to be a slave to his Hollywood like producers and, and people who funded his film. Like, you know, he wants to make a movie with his vision. Um, and they, they, they really discussed that in the documentary about how, you know, if you if you go to Hollywood and you work for someone, you know, he says, I'd love to make a big movie like a Batman film, but I want to make my Batman film, not the film that they tell me to make, you know. So and he says that even like trying to get like funding from from these smaller, uh, you know, producers, these smaller places, you know, trying to raise a million dollars for a movie, which is a lot of money, but not for a film. Right. Just trying to get a million dollars for uh, a film. Yeah, they yeah, own you. They want to own you. They think that you you belong to them now. And I think, you know, he throughout his career, he really tried to show that he, you know, no one belongs to someone else. And and he was going to make his vision uh, no matter how he had to do it. And, and everyone on the sets of his film said it was like a, it was an actual democracy. He, he never ruled the roots. He, like Tom Savini would walk up to him and go, hey, um, what if we have, you know, a, a hardware zombie with a screwdriver on his belt attack Roger? And Roger uses the screwdriver to kill him. And George goes, hmm, yeah, okay. And it'll be like, what if, what if I fall off the, the roof there and, I, you know, I land on a, a pile of boxes? That would look cool. Hmm, yeah, that could work. Okay, like he was like very like he would take the ideas of the crew. Uh, like, this is what this is. What they all said, you know, which which is amazing. Which is how you make a great story. Yeah, I think that's great. He might not see stunts or or things through the eyes of a of a makeup artist, and Savini could literally just be like, "Hey, you know, it'd be cool." Yeah, this thing, and you know, and Romero, you know, trusted the other individual to know that it, that it would add to the movie. I think that that he's he's he was so right in in that sentiment of 
if you give me money, then you own me. And it's not the matter of he wouldn't accept that money, but normally the people who are giving the money are the ones who own you. Yep. And, um, you know, it's very Bane-esque from Dark Knight yeah. Rises, right? Yeah. And this gives you power over me. Like, <laughs> and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the Halloween movies uh, that, you know, when we reviewed it a couple weeks ago, Mustafa Akkad rest in peace, he was the financier, the producer for these movies, and the reason why they all had Michael Myers in them, for better or worse, was because he had the money, and he said Michael Myers is in this movie. <clears throat> it, it's, a, it's a complicated system. Uh, you know, Hollywood is, is as corrupt and uh, consumerism as, as, as anything else in, this, oh, in yeah. this world. Yeah, people use use bullshit movies to launder money and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, it... it <laughs> It, it, it is very corrupt. There's a lot of nepotism as well. Um, you know, like people actually change their names to, to tell you that there isn't nepotism too. Like they won't tell you about how like, you know, the Sheens and the Estevezes are the same right. family. Um, Stephen King's son, Joe yeah. Hill. He goes by Joe Hill on all of his work. Yes. To, to differentiate <laughs> you know, and himself. And luckily he actually happens to be a good Yeah, writer, he's actually talented uh, like his father, yes. Not just Stephen King's son, but, uh, but yeah, there, you know, there, there is a lot of politics in that and, you know, and as far as capitalism and consumerism goes, you, you you can't really escape it anywhere you go in society, no matter what what sort of profession you're you're in. Yep. I I do want to talk also about how it seems like they were criticizing the zombies for following routine and going to places they remember, but they are also following the same routines. Yeah. And you, you touched on this already with talking about how, you know, they they they're grabbing money for for no reason they don't need money uh you know we see that fran is pregnant and like there's literally no reason to have a kid at this point but they still want to have a kid like and i think it's just because they want some of that normalcy they want some of that routine and no matter how terrible it'll be living out the routine even if you do have the cushion of all of these material items right you're still you're still doing things that are counterproductive to your life just because you are told to do them and i feel like we we face that that decision every day when it when it comes to capitalism and um it reminds me of uh there's a spoiler alert for westworld season two uh because i still haven't seen season three Same. but in the finale it turns out that they had been recording all of the behaviors of all the humans and writing books based on them in, in like the program's library or something. And it turns out that the books for the humans were so much shorter than the books for the for the AI, for the robots. And it was because robots are actually more likely to to go outside of their comfort zone, outside of their programming, than human beings are. And, you know, it, it is so true. Like that's that's his, that's how humans are. Yeah. They're they're yep. so likely to just keep following the same thing because because it keeps them safe. I know I said a lot. Do you have any feelings? Yeah, I mean, that? what I thought was interesting that Fran seems to be the kind of the the one who uh, who wants to get out of there the most, right? Like, and, and she you know she enjoys a little bit. There's a part where she puts makeup on and stuff, and they have nice dinners. But I think she kind of keeps herself in check on like the rest of them and, and realizes you know this isn't the end all be all. She I think she literally says the mall's a prison. They're all mesmerized by it. And, and you know she um, she refuses Stephen's offer of getting engaged, right? He gives her a ring at dinner, and she says, "No, not now. We will, but not. We can't do it now." 
uh, you know, she wants to learn how to fly the helicopter in case something happens to Steven, you know, and, and she obviously cares about him. He's the father of her, she, her child. Yeah. And she wants to learn how to shoot. Yeah. Too, like she like, wants to take care of herself, which is cool because uh, the actress, uh, Galen Ross, actually pushed for a lot of these things uh, that were not in the script, like firing the gun and stuff, which I thought was kind of hey, cool. See, uh, and go her and go Romero for. for yeah. And he was like, mm, yeah. OK. No. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, but, she, you know, she realizes this. This just isn't the place they should be you know she's the ones like what about canada like we we should get out of here like she's constantly questioning like why they're here and everyone else is just like ah like don't worry about it. like we're safe we're safe we're safe um which obviously turns out not to be the case and and she was right in the end and you know uh thankfully she did learn how to fly the helicopter because it's their only way out in the end when when the mall is eventually overrun uh by by the undead and and by you know this crazy biker gang and um, yeah, so you know, I thought I thought that that was kind of interesting that Fran's the one who who constantly brings those things up, um, and also about her baby. You know, Peter offers to abort the baby is is the words he used, but he says it to Stephen. He just knows how to do. Yeah, it. Yeah, he knows how to do everything apparently, uh, yeah. but he says it to Stephen and not Fran. Oh, right, which I I was like, that's you know, wow, uh, good catch. Yeah, he you know he's he's I, like that, if you want if you want even I can do to me. it. Totally should have. Yeah, and then you know she she's listening from the other room. And when Steven comes in and she, she kind of brings it up, he's like, well, we thought you were asleep. Like, that would be make it better, you know? <laughs> like, like, oh, we thought you were sleeping. We're so. still deciding your fate. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, again, yeah. men trying to control a woman's body. And I, I do, I I think Romero put that intentionally in there, you know, that they don't ask her, but, but you know, ask, ask the father of the baby. Um, and, uh, of course, it's fucked up. <laughs> like, she, she should be the one to make that decision. And she, she wants to keep the baby. And I'm not sure if it was intended this way either, but, you know, Fran, just in being a woman, kind of, women are more likely to know what it's like to live in that silent prison, that things may look great on the outside, but they're not. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's, you know, being someone in an abusive relationship or someone who's in a less than ideal living situation, a relationship or job, even just because it provides you safety, uh, you know, all of us can relate to that to some extent, but I think more so women can just because of, you know, of living through patriarchy. So it is interesting that Fran is the one to be like, guys, even though we're safe, even though we feel safe, this isn't where we're supposed to be. Like, we just don't need the basic yep. stuff taken care of. And um, on, on one of the links in the show notes, the person who talks about this in his YouTube video, he he talks about how it's kind of similar to Corona now, like in the state of COVID-19, how we are in a rush to get back to society the way it was even though there is still a pandemic right. and uh, you know that we may oh we got football so everything's okay like there's lots of stuff and i think i think it's intentional that there is a rush to get media out there that's going to keep us distracted and keep us comfortable meanwhile we still have people losing their lives in the streets to state sanctioned uh police violence yeah like, there's, there's no second stimulus check right there's no second stimulus check for people who have been out of work all this time and are losing their home. But there's football <laughs> and a World Series in baseball. So don't worry. You know, you can you can watch your sports and not worry about the fact that there are people going homeless uh, in the streets and can't feed their kids. So, yeah, def definitely intentional. I, I agree. It's uh, ooh. So I know we briefly mentioned uh, earlier, you know, about the violence of, of people on people. And, and you mentioned there wasn't a whole lot of it in this film, but... 
I think in a way there is. It's not always, you know, a gun battle between two people, but throughout we just see people making choices that endanger other people uh, that are selfish. You know, the movie opens with with a, a TV studio where Fran works, where she's, you know, some sort of executive or someone, you know, uh, in a higher station there. And, and the the guy who's running the whole place wants to wants to keep putting on outdated rescue stations on the TV uh, so that people will tune in. And she kills it. She's like, no, these are these are all shut down. Like they're 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 not active anymore. We can't send people to these places. It might be overrun. Uh, so she stops that. And you know, and in the in meanwhile, what's on TV is like these different experts and hosts just arguing and fighting over you know what to do and how to how to handle the situation. And you know, um, you have people running in the background, like you know, uh, doing the bunny ears to them. Like it's just like utter chaos. Um, which is kind of like what we're seeing today, you know, in in, uh, in America right now during during this pandemic. Uh, but yeah, so like the executive comes out and he, he's like, you know, who stopped running those stations? And she's like, I did. He's like, I want those on every second, otherwise people are gonna stop tuning in. And she's like, you're gonna kill people, you know. And he cares more about the ratings for the TV station than he does about actually saving people's lives. Uh, and I, I thought that was such a such a like brutal and powerful moment, just kind of open with. You know, and then, uh, you know, obviously Steven comes in for, you know, and tells Fran that they're going to leave that night, at, you know, from the helicopter. Um, and, and she doesn't want to leave at first. And the camera operator next to her says, you know, don't worry, we're going to be shut down by midnight. The emergency uh, uh, networks are taken over. Our responsibilities are over. And it's just such a like, uh, you know, it's over. It's all over. We, we have no control anymore. Um, there's nothing we can do to stop this. Uh, you know, and that's why she leaves. And then again, you know, when when her and and Stephen go to get ready to leave, they run into a group of police officers, and it's kind of like this standoff moment, right? Where where they're they're not sure if they're going to draw their weapons, they're going to take their stuff, they're arguing over, uh, you know, what they're going to take to escape in the police, and they're gonna, they're going to take a boat, but maybe they'll take the helicopter instead. And then Roger and Peter pull up, and they're also police officers, right? So there's like a mutual respect there, uh, and they they're able to kind of like talk down the situation, but. There, you know, there's a second there where everybody, you know, is, is just thinking about themselves and they want to to take everything so they could fight right there. Uh, and then I thought it was funny when, when one of the police officers goes, hey, does anyone have a cigarette? And everyone's like, nah, sorry. And they get in the boat, they leave, and then, you know, the main character's getting a helicopter and they fly away and they all start lighting up cigarettes. because They, they all even, have their own cigarettes. They wouldn't even share right. that, right? You know, <laughs> like they, they, yeah. they even keep that close to themselves. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, when they go to refuel at, uh, I guess like a, a gas station sometime on their way to the mall or on the way to their trip before deciding to stop at the mall, you know, Peter goes inside, he's investigating and he finds these two little kid zombies, which is a really sad moment, you know, but he, he does, you know, he dispatches them, he puts them down and then another zombie's coming in the doorway and, uh, Steven, you know, tries to shoot it. But Peter is like right behind it, and he he almost hits Peter. Peter dives out of the way, and then Roger comes over all cool, collected, you know, knocks the gun out of the way, and then takes a shot. You know, one hit kills the zombie, um, and this starts like a real big conflict between Peter and Stephen. You know, Peter comes over, he puts his gun on him, and and uh, you know aims it at Stephen, and and you know talks about how you know how how would you know you never point a, a point a gun at somebody, Mister. He's like doesn't feel so good, does it? You know, and it's like they're even talking a little bit about like gun violence there and 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 being, um, you know, not responsible with your weapon. You know, obviously, Steven is not a super, you know, he doesn't know how to use his weapon that well. He's not as well. Yeah, he's he's more of a pacifist. He's a pilot. You know, he's definitely no marksman. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he, yeah. he just willy-nilly is just, like, you know, firing bullets. And we see this throughout the movie, actually, where he's just, like, firing away and firing away, uh, which ultimately kind of leads to his death um, because he, he does that to himself. But, you know, I thought it was right off the bat, there's, like, this conflict between two of the main characters. And Roger keeps stepping in, and he's kind of like, guys, oh, you know, he's the, he's the calm one. He's the cool one. He's like, you know, it's all right. You know, we don't have to get, you know, up in arms at each other. Um, and then, you know, later... Roger, who's been calm this whole time, he starts losing it, right? He loses it when they're when they're moving the trucks in front of the mall, and he just he totally unravels, which I thought was a great a great twist that you know people didn't see coming. I, I didn't expect him to be the the first one to kind of lose it and get bitten, uh, and, and you know Peter's like you got you know you got to calm down, man, and like there's just like there's there's constant you know conflict between people, um, and it, it eventually leads to that biker gang showing up and and just this all out brawl. And, and, you know, a big reason for that is when they call on the radio, Peter's like, we're going to ignore them. We're not going to answer them, you know. And Fran's like, maybe we should talk to them. Because she always wants to, you know, try to try to do the right thing and try to be the moral accomplished. She's like, maybe, maybe we should talk to them. And they're like, no. And when the biker gang says, you know, like, you're going to regret not sharing with us. We don't like people who, sh- who don't share. And they come and they raid the mall. And it starts this, this giant battle between, you know, Peter and Steven and, and, I don't know, 25, 30 biker gang guys and you know again eventually steven does get shot because he goes it's ours you know it's it's all ours we you know we, we took this we we secured this place so he decides to start fighting back and you know instead of hiding like peter told him to uh and it's that constant greed that constant conflict that we just keep seeing coming up and coming up and coming up between people yeah steven is representative of a, of a few different things uh you know i want to talk about how he kept aiming his gun without realizing who was truly at the other end of it. And, uh, you know, that kind of reminds me of Malcolm X's quote about, like, the biggest enemy to the black community being the white liberal person yeah. because they, they think they're helping, you know, even as they're they're killing you. Like, uh, you know, and we see a lot of that, I feel, with a lot of our election cycles that we see people who are like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to vote blue no matter who or I'm going to vote blue all down the ballot. And, you know, because without actually doing research and figuring out which parties really are more likely to uh, to to advance the black community. And, you know, I think Stephen is is representative of that individual that he's like, oh, I'm helping. And then you're totally not, uh, you know, I'm gonna bring it up. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to bring it up in this week's episode about the election. I'm going to be doing a housekeeping episode with Joe Armstrong returning from his uh, his three-episode special with the Batman v. Superman. Nice. Uh, but, you know, it is interesting how, like, when the 1994 crime bill was was uh, voted in by, by President Clinton and, uh, you know, it was drafted by Joe Biden, uh, Biden at the time bragged about how many new police officers they were going to have and how many new death penalties and how many new how much money was going to prisons and he said that's the liberal democratic party just voted for that like kind of like he tricked them into it and was so proud of of it like yep. you know and i th- and i think it it just shows that that narrative is is so so deadly for for us to have you know we still have the democrats are the good guys republicans are the bad guys and you know, it it is so much more nuanced. We spoke last week a, bit, a little bit in our We Are What We Are episode in which, uh, you know, Pelosi is holding the lives of Americans hostage and preventing COVID relief b- stimulus, uh, you know, preventing financial COVID relief just because they don't want to give Trump and his administration a victory so close to the election date. Yeah. Yep. Holding people's lives hostage. It's uh, 
Yeah, and <sighs> we, you know, we see that a lot of this is done for personal gain. Uh, you know, Pelosi obviously for for the Democratic Party's gain, but in this movie specifically, when we talk about the media willingly sending disinformation to people. But yeah, so so I mentioned how how misinformation is deadly, but the people who are who are dispensing it, who are also ready to dispense it until Fran gets in the way and saves God knows how many people with this, uh, you know, they're doing it for for the ratings and and for their for their own gain. And there's a there's a lot to to dis, to uh, to dissect with the media and how it's represented in this film. They always have commentators on 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 screen, and like you said, it was complete chaos. One of them is putting bunny ears up to the other, but eventually it gets more ridiculous. And you know, there's people coming on who are doctors and scientists, and and they're being told that their opinion's wrong, uh, and then they're calling out the politicians and being like, or or what? You're or, or I don't even think the other guy was a politician. I think he was just like a, a TV host, a celebrity, and he's like, you're going to trust a celebrity over a scientist and you know, all that is well. The, the, the one scientist actually says this is not Republicans versus the Democrats. This is more yep. crucial than another war or economic issues. We are down to the line. Like he he's saying, this is the extinction of our species. You know, this is not a political debate. Like we, you know, he's actually saying nuke major cities. He's like, we need to nuke. We have to nuke every major city in the U.S. And they're like, that's crazy. He's like, they will never run out of food because they will just keep eating us. As long as we're alive, they'll stay alive. So we have to do the the most extreme measure to take you know take them out. And you know, not saying that's that's right, but you know, he he is correct in in the regard that this is so much more than just a political debate. This is uh this is you know the very li- the very extinction of humanity. And yet his opinion we see mirrored in modern day politicians who are all too ready to let uh, your average working class person go back to work and risk them themselves in uh, in the COVID-19 pandemic just so the economy uh, can get going. You know, yes. uh, yep. I don't think that's not his motivation, but those are the sentiments of individuals today who who are you know, ready to just throw bodies, throw the old and the and the working people at at the pandemic, and just right. kinda let it let it work itself out. You know, it it is. I mean, it's a little more clear. It's a little more clear cut in real life, I think, than it than it was in the movie. You know, in the movie, that really is, I think, a legitimate choice you have to make when it comes to zombies. Do you nuke the the hot spots or not? And uh, you know, in real life, it's just a matter of well, we can provide financial relief and allow everyone to stay behind doors and get right. back to life soon but we won't do that uh as a as a country i i want to bring up this other moment uh in a in an interview that romero did where he was talking about like if he were to do a remake of dawn of the dead and you know how he would have it that the you know there are security guards all around, but there are still zombies roaming the streets. And, you know, would we be OK with that as people so long as there's still a valet to bring the car around? And, you know, that that was that's prevalent in real life as, you know, we were always willing to just make an adjustment and then keep life moving. Like, don't actually take care of the problem. Just do something that makes us comfortable with it. And then, oh, yeah, there's plexiglass everywhere. So we don't have to worry about it now. Like, um you know that that is the American way, and it goes to the 2004 remake, right? Where CJ says, "America always sorts its shit out." Yeah, you know, like we're perfectly fine with just living however we have to live, no matter how surreal or inhumane it may actually be. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's there's a lot of representations of of 
masculinity in the 2004 remake. There's a lot of clashing of testosterone. Yep. There's not much in the in the original, but I do think that despite Stephen being more of a pacifist, he is like a very toxic male. Uh, you know, you mentioned it before that he doesn't want to bring his girlfriend into the talks of keeping her child. Yeah. Um, we and we also have where where he says it's ours. Like he could have hidden. There was plenty of space for them to hide in the mall, and they still would have had so many resources that these guys, you know, these guys would have looted and destroyed things and maybe let zombies in, but they still would have had so many resources available. But Steven is the one who's like, no, it's ours. We we claimed it. We found it. Yeah. He you know, very it. much. Yeah, he's a he's a colonizer. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he, hey, like, you know, even Roger's the one who's who says maybe we should go to a hospital or or get some medical supplies for her when she has the baby. And like Steven, you know, he just doesn't seem to really care. He doesn't he doesn't seem to think that's a good idea. He wants to stay in the mall. Uh, and there's even like that moment where where they leave Fran behind to kind of clear out the mall a little bit and get some of the supplies. And a zombie wanders into the stairway and attacks her, and she has no weapon. She's left by herself. She's trying to climb to the roof. Um, you know, and they, they show up just in the nick of time to save her. I have a great article we'll have in the show notes here. Um, but would they even have the quote for me? Yeah, he says, you should see all the great stuff we got, Franny. All kinds of stuff. This place is terrific. It really is. It's perfect. All kinds of things. Really got it made here, Franny. And instead of being like, are you okay? I'm so sorry. Like, that's... That's his first, you know, reaction. That's the first thing he says to her. So, you know, he he is definitely ultimately taken over uh, by by what they have here, you know. And, and, and again, he tries, you know, he gives her a ring. He wants to get engaged. But, like, does it really have any meaning? You know, it's a ring he, he took from a jewelry store downstairs. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, does it actually have any meaning to him or is he just doing it? So I, I think, you know... Yeah, Steven has a lot. He has a lot of issues. You know, he's always trying to prove himself to be the tough guy, and you know, they tell him to stay behind because obviously Roger and Peter are much better trained. They're much more equipped for the situation, and yet he, you know, he decides he's going to go. I can't leave those guys down there, and he runs downstairs to be all you know macho and heroic, and he winds up get almost getting himself killed. You know, he's fight. He he can't even kill this one zombie in, in the boiler room, right? It's like you know, oh, the d- boiler room. <laughs> he's shooting bullets all, and he and like meanwhile, Roger and Peter have this whole plan. And now there's there's gunshots going off, and this distracts the zombies from their plan. They're look, they're like, oh, you know, and all these zombies start wandering to to the stairwell, and it like ultimately almost kills Franny because of that. So, you know, you, you definitely see a lot of toxic traits from him. I really love that Steven is kind of a beta male too, though. That like it isn't, it's not the tough, muscly guy who you no. expect to to be the one exhibiting those traits. And you know, I. I, I do think that's great. And we, you know, we still see a lot of that today with our media personalities. You know, we go back to just putting whatever you want on television in order to get ratings. You know, you have like, you know, your Tucker Carlson's, your Ben Shapiro's. I think like the only one who really tried to be super like stereotypically manly was Alex Jones. Yeah. Like he was the only one, you know, the rest of them are kind of just like, you know, little fucking bitch boys who 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 are willing to, you know, to talk big shit and inspire the proud boys. Right, right. Yep. You know, but but not actually uh, you know, they're sitting on their biscuit never having to risk it as uh, Ooh, I like Carol it. says in uh, in the office. 
Um, so you remember the scene with the uh, with the, like the rednecks and like in the, in the National Guard like hunting down zombies in the woods or like drinking beer and like partying. It's like you know and they they see this from the helicopters are flying over. Oh, I thought over. I was just watching the news. Sorry, <laughs> it feels like it, right? <laughs> but I thought that was a really important scene um, to show. You know, they're like, oh, they're probably enjoying it. I think someone in the helicopter says, I, f- I forget which character. Uh, and they were right. They were genuinely enjoying. It. They're like, oh shit, I missed. You know, they're like, they're like practicing. They're drinking at beers. And, yeah, they're blowing up cars. Yeah. Like, you know, these are people. These are formerly people who have come. You know, have risen from the dead, and they're just. You know, they don't care. They're just killing them like it's sport, like it's fun. Like you know, they're going hunting, um, and it just shows like such a disconnect between you know the, the morality of the situation. They just they love their and violence. They- and they don't know how close they are to becoming those zombies either. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's you know very similar to how the you know your average middle class American citizen is likely to be indifferent or feel negatively towards an individual who may be suffering from something like poverty or hunger or opioid addiction, and not knowing that this could very well be you. It could very well be in your backyard tomorrow more so than you think. So, you know, you should really take your compassion that you have for billionaires and start turning it to those who you have more in common with. Right. Then, right. you know. Uh, but, yeah, so um, for some reason, uh, I want to say, uh, what is Tom Savini's name again? I think he's like... Uh, Bleed? Bleed, yeah, something something bleeds. Yeah. Tom Savini's crew kind of reminded me of anti-maskers. I don't know why. Like, he just seemed to be the ones who were like, fuck safety. And they, I can see you know, that. They, well, they yeah. In. They're like, they're like throwing pies in zombies' faces. Yeah, they're and making like, a joke out of it. They just want the regular comforts that they used to have, you know, not yeah. dissimilar from those who are, let's just, you know, let's, let's hold all of our Trump parades and not wear masks and let's go get brunch and let's go, um, you know, we got to make sure we can get haircuts again and stuff like that. Like, like those people are the, you know, they're not, they're not protesting over their rights. They're protesting over, I want to do fun things again. Yeah, I mean, you hit a nail on the head, I think, with that. <laughs> you know, they're just not taking it seriously. Like, it's still it, it's still a game to them. They don't realize the threat that COVID-19, I mean, zombies, uh, you know, <laughs> bring to them. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and, you know, they... There's like one guy who sticks his arm like in the the uh, blood pressure like analyzer and gets it ripped off by his arm. It's just like these guys are just totally like not paying attention. But you know they're enjoying killing the zombies. They're enjoying taking stuff from the mall and uh, you know owning just, the libs. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> just the, again, you know, it just shows like the 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 violence and and how much they they enjoy it. Um, and I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say they ultimately fail or are successful. You know, some of them get killed, some of them get away. They steal some stuff. It's, you know, no, nobody really wins in this situation. Um, you know, no, they they don't. Um, which know, is I think, do... which is what we see, right? Like we're we're always we're defeating ourselves. Like we're we're always fighting amongst each other instead of working together for the for the greater good. Yeah, that, that's exactly what we see, and you know, something that I, I've mentioned recently that. For as much as we may, I don't know if I want to use the term hate, you know, how for as much as we may despise people who not even have conservative views, but are full on Trumpers, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, those are the people that we do need side. We need, we do need to be side by side with them when the revolution comes. And 
you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of realization that has to come uh, come come into place when that happens you know i think you have to realize that these individuals what they say is you know i hate immigrants but what they really don't like is the the people with money who are hiring an undocumented immigrant over them like that's who they should be mad at you know like there are some people who are legitimately racist there are a lot of people who are legitimately racist don't get me wrong but i think that those who are more concerned about you know the economy and the state of jobs and stuff like that i i think it really is a matter of Disinformation. Yes. Yeah. Disinformation that they are intentionally lied to to keep them afraid of the have nots instead of the one percent. You know, be be afraid of the protesters. Don't be afraid of the cops who can bust down your door and kill you with impunity. Um, You know, be afraid of the 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 immigrant who's quote unquote like coming to steal your job and, you know, not afraid of the person who's fine with paying you below minimum wage below living wage uh so you have to have two other jobs or something to to get by you know yep. be afraid of, of of all of them but don't be afraid of the people who are actually keeping you in this cycle yeah it's it keeps people online you know why why hate the billionaire who's who's got more money than knows what to do with you know hate hate the guy working three jobs who came here because uh they were threatened back home or they're trying to send money to their family you know it's um it's it's just uh, so backwards. <laughs> it is, and uh, instead of going backwards, our characters, our protagonists, decide to move forward. At the end of this movie, they get into the helicopter, and they're like, "You know what? Fuck this!" It's kind of like they're leaving this this illusion that they had. You know, like that mall was kind of the last remnants of the world before, and and you know, seeing that there really isn't any value in that, and the way the world is now, they leave it, and. You know, it's very powerful, very effective how at the end, you know, uh, Peter just asks uh, Fran, he goes, how much how much fuel we have? She goes, not much. And they don't really know where they're going, do yeah. they? They're, they're just going to they're just going to keep going. Right. They're going to see what they can do. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it's a great ending. I love that it's zombie Steven who ultimately leads the zombies up the stairwell. Who like past their hidden wall breaks through? That's it right. And, yeah, you know, God. like they, that's the, the final. Yeah, fucking yeah, fucking guy. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, you know that he ultimately like is the one who kind of destroys any chance of reclaiming this place. Uh, and Peter's gonna kill himself, right? He wants to stay behind. He's like, I don't want to go. I, I I really don't want to go. He stands there. He's in, he puts a gun to his head. Uh, and Fran's in the helicopter, like holding out hope that he's gonna come. And the zombies start climbing to the roof and. You know, Peter doesn't come. So, yeah, she's like, I guess I'm just going to go. And then he finally goes, ah, you know what? Maybe I got a little more fight left in me. And he he has this epic uh, fight where he's like karate chopping, like kicking zombies down. Yeah, you don't want to get the hands of Joe Grizzly. No, man. He don't don't fuck around. He's a powerful, he's a bad man. Like, he'll hit you with those. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, in in this ending, um, what was interesting, you know, that originally, they it was not going to end like this uh peter was going to kill himself uh there's even apparently there was a mold made of fran's head where she was going to put her head into the helicopter blades and uh damn I think they used that instead in the opening uh not the opening scene but the scene in the apartment complex where the head explodes when it's shot and i think they wanted to be using the mold for that so they didn't waste it 
But yeah, it was going to be like a really dark ending. And I think it was, if I'm if I'm wrong, I, you know, I apologize, but I believe I read it was George Romero's wife who convinced him to have a more happy ending. Uh, I think because night was so depressing, they decided to give a little more hope at the end of dawn. So they wound up going with this ending instead. Um, and there's a lot of debate about whether or not they actually shot an alternate ending. Tom Savini says yes. Apparently Romero was quoted in an interview saying yes, but later on he said no, it, didn't, it never happened. Um, yeah, so like they, they really decided to change the ending up. And, I, you know, I enjoy it. I think, you know, it's hopeful enough while not being like, everything's going to be okay, you know? You, they don't know where they're going to go, but they realize they have to do something better than this. Yeah, and that's the same thing we see in uh, the platform. It's the same thing we see in Snowpiercer. You know, we do see, like, all right, like, what comes next now that we've broken out of uh, the the stranglehold that capitalism has on us yeah what's next well we may not know but it should be better than than what came before right and you know i think this does end on a similar note well he plays um the preacher on tv in, in the remake uh yes delivering yes. his line when there's no more room in hell the devil walk the earth which is probably the most iconic line in all of uh Romero's films, I'd say, yeah. What, what do you make of that? I, I wanted to ask you that because you know I don't think Romero's films are particularly religious at all, um, but he does throw this in there, you know, and it, it, it seemed to be a very important line that he's the, you know, I think on the posters and everything, um, and he never gives an actual explanation for the zombies. So how do you feel about that line? He's he's uh, paying homage to the origins of zombies because yeah. in the original Dawn of the Dead, Peter says uh, that. I think it was his aunt or his grandma who used to say that. Yeah. And it's because they practice voodoo. Right. Yep. Yep. So I, he I doesn't also, necessarily make it a religious thing. Right. Yeah. And I, but I also think it, it does uh, bring up an interesting point that, like, maybe humanity has fallen so much, you know what I mean? That, like, that, that hell is overflowing, right? Like, that, that there's so many bad people now that they literally are walking the earth. Um, and, and, you know, as we see, all of this, this selfishness, this violence, this consumerism, um, it kind of, you know, it kind of makes you look, look at it and go, you know, even if you're not religious, you could believe that, right? That, it, that, you know, hell itself can't hold all these horrible people anymore. And now, you know, we're all stuck together on, on earth. Um, Is that I why that we was... have zombified Mitch McConnell right now? Yeah, zombified Mitch McConnell. <laughs> we have actual zombies. <laughs> we have actual zombies, uh, but uh, but yeah. So, but in the remake, Zack Snyder makes it a point to to uh, to make Ken Foray's character kind of a, an evangelical, yes. uh, you know, uh, preacher on TV. Uh, what do they call it? Like a public access pastor, you know, one of yeah. those guys. And um, you know, I I do think it was. It made a little more sense in Snyder's just because that is what we have today. Every time something bad happens, you have religious extremists uh, coming out saying it's because gay people exist. Yeah, there was hurricanes yep. because because of gay people. You know, uh, soldiers die because of gay people. I'm talking about, of course, about the Westboro Baptist Church, but you know, the, a lot of a lot of uh, religions uh, based in uh, you know the big the big three. Uh, the the Abrahamic religions, I believe they are. You know, they they do have a lot of homophobic undertones. So, uh, you know, they didn't make it a big point of the movie. They just threw it in in the two thousand four remake. And I, you know, I thought it, I thought it made sense because uh, it was, uh, you know, that's the first thing anybody would go to in real life. Yeah, that's no, the first I, thing I, they I, would that was go good. To, you know, course. well, it was yeah. funny because I think in that movie it's CJ, the security guard, who's watching that, and then later on uh, when he's like 
imprisoned, this one guy has like a coming out story to him. Right, and he's yes, like, right. <laughs> "I'm in hell," you know. Yes. and like that's kind of like the beginning of CJ's journey to being a more empathetic character, right? So it's reading like I think like women's magazines, you know, trust is a primary ingredient in a relationship, and kind of becomes more of like a member of the group instead of the asshole that tried to get them killed in the beginning. So I, I don't know, I don't know if that was all intentional or not, but I I think it's kind oh, of a I, cool part I'm, of his journey. I'm sure, and I mean at the very least, because we know Zack Snyder isn't the most prolific filmmaker but you know i'm sure that that he was very much like all right cj's an asshole who then learns how to be more sensitive and help others and he even ends up dying for people at the end like that was what he what he had in mind i'm sure you know and he was like you know i'm sure that he saw sucker punch as like oh this is gonna handle women's trauma and everything and abuse and he made it sucker punch but um, you know his heart was in the right place i'm sure that you know snyder is very much you know even he made the the 911 imagery very uh specific in Batman v Superman and ended up making it that Batman was kind of the fucking asshole. He was the bad guy of the movie yeah. and had to see the error of his ways by finding a common ground between himself and the foreigner. So yeah, um yeah, so I definitely think that yeah, that uh that Zack Snyder's heart is in the right place. Um you know, I don't think he was as profound <laughs> as to be like let me tell you about CJ's journey to become Yeah, no, he was no, definitely no. Yeah, but his movie does, in being that Zack Snyder is such a fucking bro, the Dawn of the Dead remake does have a lot of interesting depictions of of uh, masculinity, violence, uh, you know, the use of gun imagery, because, uh, you know, at their most basic uh, form, guns are a representative of, of you know, of a phallus. Yeah, and, yep. You know, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I see them that way, but like I said, I, couple, I took a couple feminists in film uh, <laughs> classes in college, and yeah, I can assure you that top leading film feminists believe that guns were represent penises. So, you know, you'll yeah. notice that there was a lot of penis guns in the 2004 <laughs> one, and fewer fewer penis guns. In you know, Stephen didn't even know how to use his. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsies. And, uh, uh, they actually did make a penis joke in the original movie too, with the bread. You remember that? No. Stephen had like this little loaf of bread, and then like. Um, uh, Peter has this huge like loaf of it. Look, uh, oh, it's right, during right, one of their right. montages. You'll see it. If yes, I know what you're talking about, like, oh, and they shit, just start laughing know? and shit. Yeah, it's it pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's, a, there's a lot of great, um, like funny moments in this movie in the in the original, and like there's a lot of improv. I I found out uh, the part where Roger slides down the escalator that was totally improved, um, which you know was oh. was such a great little shot. Uh, when they're when they're in the trucks outside and and they're talking about their their height differences, he's like, yeah, I heard it was a you know a, a midget uh, squadron. He needed someone to look up to. Like that was all improv by by the actors as well. So you know, again, Romero just like really let them kind of do their thing. Like he had his he's you know he had a vision, he had his outline, but he was totally open to suggestions. Um, a lot of what they did in the mall was was really like on the fly because they were only able to shoot. It was, it was an operating mall, you know. Um, in Monroeville, and they were only able to shoot like overnight, so they had to be out of there. I think by seven a.m. They had it, yeah, seven to seven. I think it was like yeah. seven p.m. to seven a.m. They had it, and there's there's a lot of interesting behind the scenes stuff about like zombies getting drunk and everything, yeah, and, and crashing you know the coming, golf cart into yep, the pole crashing and the shit. golf cart. Yep, oh, exactly. Man. 
Um, uh, but yeah, so so definitely, if you do look into this movie, look into the behind the scenes stuff because yeah, I do think there just stuff. is so much to learn from uh, the intents, uh, the intentions of the filmmakers, yeah, and how and how they made uh, the movie work with with such a limited budget. And uh, you know that it's more of a period thing too. I'd say go to that. You know, use those resources for any movie, not just not just Dawn of the Dead. Uh, but it was great to to rewatch it from kind of the lens of all right, what does this have to say about consumerism? What does this have to say about the media? About extreme personalities who have platforms uh, that you know that that they're given to to spew whatever they, it is they intend to spew. Um, you know, the, there definitely was a lot that was that was thrown in this movie that I, I didn't look for or, or get even hints of the first few times. So it was yeah. great to take a look back at that again. And, you know, we, we shouldn't make this the last Romero film that we do. Either. No, he, no. He has a few gems. We could do an entire Romero episode or two, actually. Yeah, he, um, I mean, his, you know, his later work wasn't the strongest, but um, a lot of his early and, and even, like, you know, somewhat later works the land of the dead and stuff he's got some great stuff you know he did the crazies like there's he has some great projects that he really uh he really he really liked to get his voice in, in his films i couldn't have said it any better myself from a true romero stan um but uh that being said everybody if you enjoyed what we had to say about this remember you can listen to us and rate and review us on itunes or wherever you get your podcast just so you know five star reviews they do so much to help us and all it takes is five minutes or less of your time uh it helps get the podcast out there and helps gets us uh, get us listens which in turn you know helps gets us sponsors and everything like that so it would really help out if you're listening to this on youtube uh like and subscribe to our channel share our videos around you can find us on twitter at politipop pod on instagram at politipop podcast you can email us at politipopcast at gmail.com and don't forget you can find our show notes and sources at politipoppodcast.wordpress.com uh so we're we're open to interact with you remember last week's episode was done because uh, a listener suggested it and responded to a tweet so that could be you as well and uh patreon is legitimately happening for real uh and (laughs) and, uh you know there will be a lot more interaction with listeners from you know uh from that patreon through the patreon exclusively uh as, as a matter of fact so just keep that in mind special thanks to all of you listening at home we really appreciate it keep telling your friends about it keep sharing it around and special thanks to antonia chava for logo design apparently she's working on an updated one. Ooh, i know uh but yeah th- this is absolutely awesome getting to revisit as 31 year old men whereas you know we used to watch it at 17 18 just for just for shits and giggles so yeah uh <laughs> for cool zombie kills right <laughs> Yeah, exactly, you know, and then just laughing at some of the ridiculous stuff that doesn't hold up effects-wise and acting-wise, you know. We got Uh, this, man. We got it by the ass. We got it by the ass when Steven (laughs) has the the binder and he's smacking that window with it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Smacking the glass We used to laugh so hard at that. Oh, man. Seriously, I still did. I still did what I saw. That goofy laugh of his. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, um, But, yeah, you know, that being said, Uh, For the Politipop Podcast, I've been Mike Booch. I've been Ty. And remember, no matter what you're scaring yourself with for the rest of the month, no matter what you're watching, listening to, or reading, never stop thinking, never stop learning, and always remember to read between the lines. And scene. Thank you.